Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at the church. I want to thank all of you for coming and squeezing in. I saw some people walk in um, just as service started, and I said, don't even try to get a seat in the main room. We're overflow already. So thank you for putting up with all of that. Um, Maybe a few months will be, or a few weeks, (laughs) we'll be upstairs in our new space. Um, I want to share something with you. Um, In 2008, an article was written in a psychotherapy journal where they published the findings of a study where they talked with people about their fear of dying or the anxiety that people have of death. And if you were to read this article, you would find these five things would stand out to you. The first is this, is that the majority of all people who were caught up in this study or asked to take part in this study, the majority of all of them have some sort of fear of death. The second thing is this, more women than men have a fear of death. In fact, they, they fear death, in fact, more than men. And it, here's the thing for women, most people have or experience an anxiety of death or fear of death in their 20s. I don't know why that is, but, you know, 20s are hard anyways, but then throw this thing in on top of it. But women also get a resurgence of anxiety of death in their 50s. And they learned in this study as well that young people as well as old people both have anxiety or fear of death equally. It doesn't matter truly what age you are. Everyone has this. There did, did appear to be some um, negative correlation between a person's sort of socioeconomic status and or education level. Like the higher you are um, with affluence, right, and the more education a person has, the less fearful of death you were. And I think part of that speaks to this issue of... Um, you know, who's going to take care of my family when I die? And I think people of higher affluence have a greater um, feeling of comfort in that regard, if you know what I mean. Like, they'll be fine, I'm just saying, right? So, so there seems to be less of an anxiety there. But it's this fifth one that I'm about to mention to you that, that struck, struck me the highest or the most. It says this, that there, there appeared to be no association between a person's a person's religious affiliation or connection and with a uh, reduction or a, a, a loss of death anxiety. Let me try to say that in a way that makes sense. It, it didn't matter if a person was religious or not, they still seem to experience death anxiety or the fear of dying, which stuck out to me because, you know, even they didn't just like pull like Christians for this study. They went all across the, the globe with all kinds of different religions. And so you're You're talking to people who believe in reincarnation, maybe, for example. And that's a religion out there that believes in that. And you would think that at the the onset of dying that they would be happy because they get to be reborn into something new. Maybe a cat. Who knows, right? There's that idea. Or what about the atheistic thought that says it doesn't matter anyways because we're all just matter. And at the end of our breath, we just go back to the ground to become dust. To dust we return from which we once came is the idea. But even the atheistic thought had some anxiety and fear of dying. And, and, and here's the one that got me too, is even the Christian. Even the Christian who, in, in our, the tenets of our uh, faith, would say that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
We believe that Jesus raised from the dead, and yet that didn't seem to play much of an, um, an impact into whether a person has anxiety or fear of dying. You know, you can travel with me back into the recesses of your brain and go back to high school history when, when we've learned that people have desired immortality for as long as people have been on this world. Ponce de Leon, remember him? He was the guy who famously uh, found Puerto Rico and wasn't... Uh, um, Satisfied in finding those islands, he decided to keep looking. Do you know what he was looking for? He wasn't just a European looking to establish more land for his king or queen. He was looking for something specific. If you know the story, Ponce de Leon was looking for the fountain of youth. He was looking for immortality. Now, he leaves Puerto Rico and makes his way up to what is now Florida, only to find that it doesn't exist there either. And yet, if you were to look at the demographics of Florida today... It seems like all the old people make their way down to Florida. <laughs> what, what is it about Florida that makes people think this will be this? You know what I mean? They like winter down there and live forever down there. But it wasn't Ponce de Leon. There are other people who have strived for immortality as well. I think we've all heard the rumor. It's okay to spread rumors in church. <laughs> At least if it's not about you. The rumor of Walt Disney, right? Who was famously cryogenically frozen. So hope, uh, his hope was that one day that science would advance enough that they would finally conquer the, the great enemy of humanity, death, and that they would be able to thaw him out, so to speak, and, and reanimate him so that he could then live forever. This is the idea behind Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein. You remember that from grade school where the Dr. Frankenstein is trying to live immortal in creating something from the grave that might live forever. There's just something inside of us that always drives and wants immortality. Mark Zuckerberg, many of you know, is the founder of Facebook. He and a couple other people, they give out prizes, wait for it, of $3 million apiece for those people who have scientific advances that seem to um, extend the lifespan of humanity. So if you're looking for a quick buck, just go find a way to extend the lifespan of humanity. And not to be outdone, another tech billionaire, Peter Thiel, um, invests in so many startups, you almost can't count them. All of them are dedicated to extending the lifespan of humanity. In fact, Peter Thiel is so afraid of dying that he's got this novel idea, and this might be the creepiest thing you hear all week. He's got this new and novel idea that he wants to... um, He wants to harvest and then inject himself with the blood of young people. In fact, the rumors in in, uh, Silicon Valley say that he spends what would be for you and I probably a year's wages per month doing this, although he doesn't admit that he's doing this. See, we're, we're striving to be immortal. We want to be immortal. But I think the greatest statesman who ever lived, Benjamin Franklin, said it best. He says, of all of things that are certain in this life, there are but two, right? It is death and taxes. <laughs> ha, 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 right? <laughs> Did you know Benjamin Franklin wrote that five months before he passed away? He was writing to a dear friend of his who still lived in France regarding about how much he missed him. And I think Benjamin Franklin was staring death in the eyes. I mean, it wasn't but five months and he 
succumbed to a 10-day fever and pleurisy in his lungs where he finally breathed his last at the age of 84. And so we try to humor it away, dismiss it away. But there's something significant about our lives where we have this desire to avoid death at all costs. Many of us in the room haven't made our wills yet because we don't even want to talk about it. Do your wills, please. (laughs) Especially if you have kiddos, right? And it's not just that we want this um, immortality and and think about it, but it in fact changes our behavior. In fact, the anthropologist Ernest Becker said this in his book, The Denial of Death. He says, we all come by this fear of death naturally, would be his language. And we'll put that in quotes and we'll talk about that in a minute, that it comes to us naturally. And he says that everything that everyone does Hear that? Everything that everyone does, the goals we set, our passions and our hobbies and the activities that we engage in, he says all of those things are in essence a coping strategy for us. All of these things that we focus on so that we don't need to worry about our eventual death. What does Mr. Becker mean when he says that we come by this... um, fear of death naturally, it would mean this, is, and I think I agree with him, but it means we don't have to learn it. No one has to teach us to be afraid of it. In fact, there's something inside of us that fosters this anxiety or fear in us. I would say this, that I think it's actually part of God's great design in us that he wants us to think of things immortal. He wants us to live a life as if it's immortal, and yet we have this disconnect because we are mortal. God who created all is eternally um, existing. Yes, he's the beginning and the end. He exists outside of all time. He, He has no beginning or end. He is the essence of what is eternal, and when God created us, he placed inside of us something that longs for that eternal nature. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, that God, when he had made everything beautiful, and everything is beautiful in its time, he says, that God also put eternity into man's heart. Think about that. The creator of everything, when he fashions us from the dust of the ground, the book of Genesis tells us, and breathes life into us, but he places inside of us a kernel something. I don't know how to explain it, but there's something inside of us that longs for immortality, for things eternal. And some would argue, and I would be one of those people who would say, and I believe God uses that desire for things eternal to reveal himself to us. So we don't have to look very far to see that death is always around us. We're so distracted by the degradation and decay of the world around us that God sometimes seems so far away, if he's real at all, that God just appears to be some figment of our imagination. We come up with this caricature of who God really is, but I'm telling you, God is good, yes, and he's created us to live with him for, for forever, And the eternity that's inside of our heart, it longs for him. Oh, it desires him. And like a great fisherman, God plants that hook inside of our heart and just slowly starts to tug upon it, hoping that all humanity will turn its gaze 
his way. But there's something in the way. You ever try to look at something? I remember the first time I went to a 3D movie and bought it. I mean, just got it. I was watching Avatar. Don't judge me. <laughs> right? And I remember there was a scene when they're in one of the control rooms, and it was filmed in such a way there was like this post in the way. And I had my 3D glasses on, and I kept trying to look around the post. And then I hit myself in the head. I'm like, Jeff, you're a moron. There is no post. It's just the 3D effect of the movie. But that's, that's like us, humanity, trying to stare into the eyes of God. There just appears to be something in the way. Tolstoy calls this the dragon at the bottom of the well with its jaws standing wide open, hoping to consume everyone who finds its way inside. This dragon is death itself. We cannot see who God is because death stands in the way, distracting us dissuading us from looking into the eternal one. Paul the Apostle is writing to Corinthian Christians, believers in a city called Corinth. And he's been talking to them for, for some time now about the resurrection, which is, as I said earlier, it is a tenet of our faith as Christians that we must be people who believe in the resurrection. Hear me, not just in the resurrection of Jesus, but in the hope of the resurrection for all of us. And yet the Corinthian believers are disbelieving this one thing. They, they struggle with this idea that somehow these decrepit, decaying bodies will somehow be reanimated into eternity. And they're struggling with it. And they're asking Paul questions. How, how does this happen? What does this look like? What type of bodies will they be? And hear me when I say this. Paul does not just dismiss them as arrogant or ignorant, rather. He just, he just lovingly comes alongside of them. And with helpful analogies, if you've been here the last many weeks, we saw where Paul used the analogy of some seeds and, and different types of bodies and all this type of stuff. And he's trying to get them to believe in the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection that they have. Paul finishes his argument today. We're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you brought a Bible with you, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to spend our time in verses 50 through 58. In fact, I think what might be best is is if I just read the whole thing in its entirety, and then we'll just go through uh, a few verses at a time here. Start here in verse 50. And Paul says this, As I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Their question, what do these bodies look like? How, how do we get resurrected? What's it all this about? And he goes, listen, pay attention. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, nor does the imperishable or the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must, be put, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal then puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and he's quoting from Isaiah in the Old Testament, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? What a taunt. What a taunt. 
And he says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, he says. Would you pray with me so we can try to understand this? Here's my prayer for us already. Sorry, you can still look here. Um, I'm, I'm praying that we see this as a reality for us, that those who believe in Christ Jesus have no reason to have anxiety or fear of death. Not that it doesn't still pain us or hurt us, but there's something far greater beyond that. And I'm asking God to open our eyes to see that. And all the while, I'm asking God to, to blind our eyes to the, the culture around us who teaches us that teaches us something other than that. It sounded like a prayer. Maybe I should just say amen. (laughs) Let's pray together. God, would you help us? We don't want to be a people who consume our lives with stuff, hobbies, running businesses, and striving after goal after goal after goal to just push aside our death anxiety, Lord. We don't want to be those types of people. We want to be people who are hope-filled, who believe that your son Jesus has made a way for us to step into that which is eternal. That God, we can have a relationship with you. As John writes in John chapter 3, he says that those who believe in this would have eternal life. God, we believe in Jesus and what he's done for us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would help us to understand these things. And most importantly, God, we pray that our lives would be changed. We cannot be, we must not be people who just know stuff. We have to be people who live this stuff too. So God, just transform our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, Paul doesn't just dismiss them for having some concerns about the resurrection. He gives them helpful analogies. He, he's, he appeals to them personally. He says, I really want you to understand this. I want you to see this. He calls them brothers here in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, and you need to understand, flesh and blood, and he's speaking kind of about our natural bodies. He says, this type of body is not built for the immortality. It has to be something different. Now, praise be to God, God knows how to build that body too, Yes. So he's made this one, and this one's been ravaged by the effects of sin in our life, and death rules and reigns here, if you will. But God is going to come to us and be able to give us a new body, and it, it won't be flesh and blood. What will it be? Uh, I have no idea, <laughs> right? We can debate this all day long, and I think people have for centuries. And if they tell you they know, they don't. They think they know, and I think that's okay to think something, but don't tell people it is what it is, because nowhere in the Bible does it specifically say what this looks like. But we know this, that whatever happens to us at the resurrection, right? Should we die? And when Christ comes again, we are resurrected into the eternity with him. Whatever happens, it's indispensable to us. He's saying this, that we have to leave whatever we were behind with our other bodies, and he's going to give us a new body. 
And it can't be flesh and blood. It's going to be something other than that. A spiritual body? I don't know. I think Jesus maybe gives us an example of this. When he was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, right? They saw him. They touched him. Thomas touched his hands, doubting Thomas. Remember him? He ate breakfast, so we get to eat Fruit Loops in our resurrected body. I have no idea what that means. But then he also walked through walls. Who's waiting for that day? Like, to be honest, that's one of the reasons I stay saved. I'm just saying. That's going to be so cool. How you doing? You just walk through walls. But it's indispensable for us. We, we need it. And here's what's so great. God gives it to us. Flesh and blood can't take it. We can't go into the kingdom of God, nor, nor anything that is perishable. He continues to say, not only is this thing indispensable to us, but it is a certainty. It's as if it's already been written in the history books of the world. Verse 51, he says, I'm going to tell you this mystery. And mystery does not mean something that we cannot know. He just means it's something that has not been known until this point. See, Christ Jesus is the one who reveals all the mysteries of the world. Before him, there was all kinds of things unknown. Before him and without him, there are things you'll never understand. But in Christ Jesus, with Christ Jesus, the mysteries are laid bare for us to understand. And this is one of those, this mystery that he is going to tell us. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What does he mean by all sleep? He, what he's saying is when Christ returns, and he's speaking about this moment, when Jesus returns, some people will have not died. There, all this to say, there'll be some people who are alive when Christ returns, okay? He's saying you don't have to then die when Christ shows up. Oh, and if I, like die to then be resurrected. He's saying we'll just forego that step for y'all, and you'll be transformed. So not all of us will die, Right? But those that have died will be resurrected. There is this transformation, resurrection thing that takes place for us. So it is indispensable. We have to have it. It is, it is certain it's going to happen. Paul says we will be changed. And then he goes on to say that it is instantaneous. Verse 52. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, hear this. This document is over 2,000 years old, Right? And he's using that phrase like we do in the flash of an eye or as quick as you can blink. Isn't that amazing that even their culture understood that that's one of the fastest things that happens when a person blinks? Some of you are thinking about your blinking right now, aren't you? <laughs> like, don't blink. <laughs> and now I can't not think about it. <laughs> but as quickly as you blink, it happens. As quickly as you blink, the transformation, the resurrection, all of this stuff that God does happens. It's indispensable, it's certain, and it's instantaneous. He says this happens at a, the last trumpet, and I won't go into a whole lot of that. Just know this, oftentimes trumpets were used to herald the incoming of royalty. When someone was coming in, right, to visit another kingdom, they would, dun da 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 they'd play the trumpets and lay out all the carpets or whatever. And the impression that Paul is giving is that this, when Christ returns, yes, the, a trumpet will sound. Is it a real trump, trumpet? Uh, probably, I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not that guy that lives in that stuff. I just know that when he comes... I'm not going to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Okay, moving on. And he says, verse 53, for this perishable body must put on imperishable 
And this mortal body must put on immortality. Again, speaking of this indispensability, it's required. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk this morning. <laughs> so, um, and he says when this happens, he takes an Old Testament passage out of Isaiah and something out of Hosea. These are Old Testament prophets that oftentimes would proclaim the truth of God way into the future. And what Paul does is he takes passages from those Old Testament prophets and he applies it to the work that Christ has done for us on behalf of being the first of those raised from the dead and that we too might be raised from the dead. And when this thing happens that is um, you know, required of us, it is certain and is going to be instantaneous, when this thing happens, something happens to that great dragon who stands between us and God who is eternal. Death in that moment is defeated he says. In fact, I would argue this, death has already been defeated when Christ was raised from the dead. And we're just waiting for our day to also kick him in the shins when we walk by. (laughs) Anyone? (laughs) Yes. You have to understand up to this point, death had never lost a battle he had fought. For every person who's ever lived, death has won. Death conquers, death conquers, death conquers, death conquers, until Jesus And Paul is just making the Corinthian believers see this. Do you not understand how important this is for us? Death, that very thing that stands between you and all that is eternal, has been cast away. And he taunts death. Look what he says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, I love this. Oh, death, where is your victory now, he says. Oh, death, where is your sting now? like a viper who would come and strike at your heel to inject a poison in you to slowly take your life. He says, that viper has no bite anymore. Isn't that wonderful? And I love that he takes that passage out of Isaiah that speaks of swallowing up. This stuck out to me, and I'll share this with you. Back in the beginning, when God created all that is, back in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that he created everything that is, and then he created mankind. He put Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, in a garden, they call it, the Garden of Eden. Maybe some of you have heard of this before. And inside of this garden were all of these trees, and the Lord comes to Adam, and he says, listen, all of these trees are good for you to eat, except for one. And it's the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, of that tree, you cannot eat from it. For in the day that you do, you will what? Surely die, he says. I want you to know that the fruit from that tree was not poison. It wasn't like that apple from Snow White's story, right? Where the, the wicked stepmother of her dad, the king, has come to destroy the fairest of them all in the land. And she gives Snow White that poisoned apple. And if she just takes a bite, she will die. The apple was not poisoned. You know what was poison? Their disobedience to God. See, this thing is called sin. And sin, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us when, when sin grows up and it matures and it moves out of the house, praise the Lord, when sin grows up, it matures into death. with a simple bite of disobedience and they swallowed it down. Death established its throne on the earth where it has ruled and reigned without discretion. That is until the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to destroy it. 
All of this anxiety, all of the stress of what happens next just floats down the stream when we look to Christ. When we look to Jesus, there is no reason to fill our lives with doing more, trying harder. Just keep me distracted, Lord. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to hope about that. I want, I want, you know what I mean? But with Christ Jesus, we plant our hope into that which is eternal. And with an invitation, we step into it. And in this, he says, death has been swallowed up, much like Adam and Eve swallowed that fruit from that tree. It can never be undone. It is finished, Jesus famously said from the cross, didn't he? He says, verse 56, the sting of death is sin, as we just talked about. And he said, and the power of the sin is the law. This is a quick little aside. I'll give it to you because I have a few moments here. But the law just regards to the, the law of Moses. It regards to the rules of how God wants his people to live. I want you to know this. The law in and of itself was in fact good, but the, the, the exhaust, if you will, it's always the wrong word, but it's always the only word I ever think of, but the, the outflow of the law is always sin. And by that, I mean this. There will be those people who keep it perfectly, and then you become prideful and boastful, which means you sin, right? Or the law just exposes how broken you are. So the law, as good as it is, it only ever produces sin in us. It either exposes yours or causes you to become boastful because you're so good. And he says all of that has been dealt with as well. Sting of death is gone. The law has no victory over us at all any longer. And so he finishes in verse 58. Therefore, this is the culmination of his talk with these people about the resurrection. Listen up, he says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. It just it says, remain in the teachings that you've had. Don't let culture come in and tell you what, what your life really is supposed to look like. Don't let those false teachers who have made their way into the church at Corinth dissuade you from this truth. Remain steadfast in this truth. We have the hope of a resurrection too. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always be quick to tell people this reality. I was praying this morning. I said, Lord, strip away all of the things that we do that do not proclaim the truth of your son, Jesus, to the world around us. What do you mean by that, Jeff? I, great question. Um, I just mean this. I want everything we do, and I, we, I mean the church here, Renaissance, Renaissance, and I say that because as the senior pastor here, I feel like I have some say into the direction we go right? I want, I want never to waver from that truth. You guys, you, ha, you know how it makes my heart warm when people come in and say, man, I really like the band because I'm a musician. I think the band does a great job. All right? I, I really love all the creative things we do at the church. I, I love all the things we do, but I'm telling you, if they don't hear the gospel preached, if they don't hear the good news of Christ Jesus, then all of this stuff will just be fluff for us. Don't get me wrong, I like fluffy church. I'm just saying. 
Like, if we get to pick, we get to pick, right? But at the end of the day, if a person doesn't have their eyes open to Christ, we've got, we've got a social gathering, right? And not even with people we like. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I don't know all y'all, but maybe we don't even serve food. <laughs> like, why would we come? I mean, is that Christ would be glorified. A friend of mine recently, he has a home in Mexico, which just sounds so cool to say, number one, you have a friend who has a home in Mexico. And so he's, he's down there for the winter, <laughs> I secretly hate him. And anyways, <laughs> I don't know if we're on the same time zone or what, but every Sunday morning since he's been gone, he texts me praying for you this morning. Hey, we've, we're trying to start a Bible study in our home down here, and we're trying to do this and that, praying for favor, praying for God to do some stuff. And I just replied as simply and as succinctly as I could, to Christ be the glory. To Christ be the glory. If there's victory over death, it's not because of you, it's because of him. And we gather together to just worship him and proclaim his goodness so that all might see. And, and in the middle of this, I hope for some will be encouraged to remain here, to remain in the truth that maybe many of you were raised up in when grandma dragged you to church when you were a kid. When those small seeds of the gospel were planted deep inside of your heart, coupled with that hook that God put in there with eternity, and they just, he's constantly just pulls you into himself. I don't need to convince you that this life doesn't feel right some days. I don't need, I don't, please, let's, let's go through the room and talk about why this life doesn't feel right some days. I don't need to. I'm just here to say there. There's something greater than this. God wants you in it, and you can find your way through the door through Christ Jesus. That's it. And with that, I'm done. <laughs> if you're visiting, you're like, that's it, that's it. <laughs> like, I famously don't know how to end sermons. This is the end. In fact, I'm just stalling now to give the band time to come back up. <laughs> they are. <laughs> My friend Joe asked me if I've been learning anything this week. You know, I, I study a lot. I read a lot. And um, he asked me if I'm learning anything. And um, I didn't know how to answer the question. I, I, I don't know why I'm even sharing it with you now, except that I think I think this last week, especially for me, I, I became hyper-focused on my issues, my problems, my um, difficulties, challenges, mountains that I can't seem to get. I mean, I, I became so hyper-focused on them that I lost sight of this reality. But the reason I get so stressed out and the reason this life seems to just run me through a meat grinder, so to speak, is just because I'm not built for this. I'm built for eternity with God.
And until I get there, it's just this tension. And so what did I learn this week? I learned that I, I need to take captive my thoughts. Tiffany talked about that last week, if you were here. And I need to truly take captive my thoughts and believe and hope for this resurrection one day. And then pray things like this, Lord, thank you for my afflictions. Thank you for my difficulties. God, may they be used by you to um, focus my eyes upon you. And it doesn't happen to me sometimes. I get so focused on the stuff that I lose him. And I've flipped it now. Crazy prayer. Lord, thank you for the difficulties in my life. Thank you for the challenges. Thank you for the medical issues. Don't ask. Thank you for all the trouble and the strife in my life. And may it be used by you to show me um, how good you are. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's, let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for our time together. You are so good to us. Christ Jesus has become the door for us. And we can walk into the sheepfold where you are, God, and be with you always and forever. God, thank you for all of that that you do for us. Help us to be people who, like Paul encourages the Corinthians to be steadfast, to remain in this truth we are a people built for eternity and we will live with you forever, God. And we trust you to work out all the details and what that looks like. God, we thank you that the work that we do would not be in vain, but that people would come to salvation in Jesus Christ, even today, Lord. God, work in their hearts today. Pull on their hearts, God. We just thank you for that. God, we love you and we ask that you would be worshiped in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus. And we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.